Well, good morning. You know, we've uh, embarked on the month of December, which actually seems like it started a couple months ago, if you would reflect on what goes on in the stores. Um, and on one level, that's a little frustrating to me. Uh, and yet, the stores are, are, are helping us to understand, whether you want to understand it or not, that Christmas is about gifts, and gifts are kind of, you know, all over the place, and you've got to give gifts. And I remember some of the gifts I got as a kid, as probably some of you do. I remember the year I got <clears throat> the bike. You know, that's one of those Christmases. It was a black, 10-speed English racer, which I don't even think exists anymore. But I tell you, back in that day, when I got that bike out and rode down the neighborhood, it was like, here I come, you know. I'm the man. I've got it. And, of course, then the other kids got new bikes, too, so we debated who had the better bikes. That was kind of the Christmas gift. And, and then I remember one year I got this gift that was a football uniform. I was probably eight or nine, so it was like, I mean, I just looked football-ish. You know, and it was, the way I remembered it was that it was blue and white. It was the Baltimore Colts. Baltimore Colts. Some of you can brush off the dust and remember them. And the number, as I recall, it was not 18, it was 19, which is one better than 18. And it was the number of Johnny Unitas, who was arguably, in my opinion, inarguably, the best quarterback ever. And so I put on shoulder pads. You know, these little kids with shoulder pads, those are great. And I had this helmet that didn't fit exactly right. And I was like, hey, I have become what I'd always dreamed of becoming, the greatest quarterback on the greatest team ever. And, I, and then, you know, one of the things that was disillusioning is a couple of years ago, we were looking through, through pictures, you know, old, old pictures. You know, you've got those. And I found one of me in that uniform. And the uniform wasn't blue and white. It was red and white. So it's kind of a bummer. And the number wasn't, eight, wasn't 19, it was 12. And as a kid, somehow I took red and white and made it blue and white. And I made 12 and made it 19. You know how kids can do that. And so I was a great, and in reality, I was just another number on just another team. And it was, you know, those gifts, and you can remember those, and that's one of the fun things about Christmas. Here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the greatest gift that makes all other gifts pale in comparison. And it's the gift of justification. And you may say, well, that's too big a word for me to think that's really a cool gift. And I'm here to tell you, there isn't any gift that's any better than justification. And I can't wait. I am just, I, I was, as I was singing that last song, and I, it's the second time I've sung, and I can't wait to sing it the third time. And I couldn't, I couldn't keep my emotions in, which is what music is supposed to do, when I reflected on before the throne of God above, there stands, there stands one that stands in my presence. And, you know, I can't wait to pray. I've already preached this sermon once. But there's something about justification that's become so near and dear to my heart that it reminds me of, if you've watched that film, those of you that are into the, the pagan reality, if you're justified, you can watch films. That's part. And the, the film that's called Up. And Up has these dogs, you know, and the dogs are kind of going, and then they'll go, and then they'll say, squirrel. You remember that? Jack Hogan remembers that. Well, here's the way I feel. I'm like one of those dogs, and I'll be going along, and I'll say, justification. Justification. It's as though... It comes into every facet of the you say, that guy's weird. It's better than saying squirrels, you know, if you've got a choice. It's as though the whole world, in my world, in the last couple of months, and actually it hasn't been the whole world, and I've repented of the times that it hasn't, revolves around this reality of the most beautiful gift there is on planet Earth and in the whole cosmos, and that's the gift of justification, which frankly has been debated a lot recently. I've got a, I've got a whole shelf of books on justification, which I haven't read all of them, but I've read a lot of them, and I've almost got bogged down with some of the debate. I'm going to give you the best understanding I have of Romans 3, and I hope you have your Bibles open to Romans 3. And, and there's hopefully going to be a few tears on the pages of Romans 3 when you realize the glory of justification. <clears throat> and, and, and it's been impacted on me recently from three sermons. One, and actually it was more of a lecture by John Piper, who has a passion for justification. And if you ever listen to him, it just comes out again and again and again, the gospel justification. And then last year in this pulpit, at Easter, on Easter Sunday... The pastor, Mark Broga, preached on justification on Resurrection Sunday and the connection between resurrection. And I tell you what, from my perspective, he justified himself when he did that. If you're going to preach on justification on Easter, that is at the core of the gospel. And then recently I heard a guy named Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City. 
And boy, if you could kind of do a little search and find his sermon that was back in March of this year on justification by faith. And it just bore a hole in my heart because I have had this nuance of justification that it's just for someday out there. And and the thing that just has impacted me is justification by faith is the reality of every day in the life of one who has been justified by faith. So we should say this always, the just shall live by faith. I'm going to say that this Christmas. So that's what we're going to do. There's three sections to this sermon. And and I I thought they're pretty obvious and they come from the text. The first one is this, what justification is not, which sets the stage for what justification is, which then ought to make you ask the question, how in the world is justification possible? It seems too good to be true. It's a gift that feels like it's just way beyond our ability to say, well, that makes sense. It's almost like it doesn't make sense. And then I hope to have some time and deal a little bit with how to bring this home and some takeaways from that. So the sermon title is... I've struggled with this. The sermon title is not on the screen, but it is this. It's justification, a great gift from God. And then I've subtitled it this. It's more blessed to receive than to give. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and my office is right across from the water fountain. You know, as a kid, I always struggled with that idea of it's more blessed to give than to receive. Because I thought... I, mean, I really like getting. <laughs> and then I grew up and I understand that nuance. And as a matter of fact, Jesus even used that idea. But when it comes to the doctrine of justification, it's much better not to bring your stuff to the table, but to get his stuff. <laughs> it really is. It's much more blessed to receive than to give. And, and just to spur your minds a little bit, there's this question that's been asked. And, and I think it comes from uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was an old pastor in Philadelphia in a Presbyterian church there. And he was dealing with people and some of their challenges in life. And he would ask this question that has become a question that many have asked people before. And it's this question. If you were to stand before God, and that if could be when you stand before God, because in one sense the if isn't like what well, may or may not happen. It's, it's going to happen. When you stand before God, this question could be asked, and maybe it won't be asked in this most literal fashion, but it will be something like this. What right, and that's an important word, tell me what right you have to enter into my heaven or into my kingdom. What right do you have? Pull out all your rights. I think even a better question than that, you could flip it a little bit, it's this. If God were to ask himself, if the father asked the son, so son, what right do you have to let him come into your kingdom? Think about that. The father says to the son, what right do you have? You're just going to blink your eyes and let him come into the kingdom? What right do you have? And I wonder what your question or your answer to that question would be. And I can tell you, I've heard a lot of answers. I was talking to one of our pastors that's talked to some of us and has heard answers like, you know what, I'm better this year than I was last year. Or I can see my life improving a little bit. That we have this notion that Christianity is being better than we used to be. And I hope you're better than you used to be. Especially some of you. (laughs) Let me rephrase that. Some of us. And you hope that too, don't you? I mean, we kind of have that hope, but that's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is all about justification. I hope that's stim- so, so what is justification not? Well, I hope you got your Bibles open, Romans 3. And by the way, those young people, you guys, great reading of that text. Man, I actually, I was choked up a little bit just by how well you read it and how, how, how it seemed like you caught it. And I don't want to pump you up because, you know what, your best works aren't good enough. But you did a good job anyway. <laughs> That's the way you ought to talk to your kids. And our clapping shouldn't be to justify them. It ought to be, thank God, that those kids have that text in their head and keep it in there and don't ever lose it. Because that's powerful stuff. And here's what it's not. If you look at Romans 3, Romans 3 is one of these just punch-you-in-the-face kind of chapters. It's like, I'm not holding anything back. And Paul, it's like he rears back and he says, boom, I'm going to give it to you straight and I'm going to give it to you so you understand it clearly. And so then in verse 9, and I'm just going to jump back to give the context a little bit. He said, we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. And maybe you say, I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Greek. Well, you are a Greek or you are a Jew because that's everybody. It's Jew, Gentiles, covenant people, non-covenant people. It's everybody is under sin. And then here's his proof. And he quotes some Old Testament texts. Like at the end of verse uh, 10, it says, there are none righteous. No, not one. And you know why Paul repeats that? Because some of us are going to say, there's none righteous except me or 
I may not be totally righteous, but I'm pretty close. And he says, none righteous, let me emphasize it. No, not even you, that you think maybe you are. You're not either. Got that? Did I get everybody? And then he says, no one understands, verse 11. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside, verse 20 or 13. Their throat is an open grave, 14. Their mouth is full of curses. Feet are swift to shed blood. Merry Christmas. You know, you're like, Ugh. The way of peace they've not known, verse 18. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And then we come to our text in verse 19. Now we know. <laughs> I mean, after that barrage, you could say, all right, Paul, I get your point. I know there's none righteous, no, not. Well, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that are under the law. And he was talking about an elite group of people, the Jews, who define themselves by their heritage, by where they were born. They were Jews. They were God's covenant people. He had laid his hand on them. He said, not because you're big, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to make you my people. And then they devised, partly from the law, the markers that identified themselves as the people of God, things like circumcision, Things like observing the Sabbath, things like their, their, their dietary laws. And, and it's so interesting to watch Jesus when he was on earth and the kind of things he went after. He, he went after the Sabbath, didn't he? I mean, it's almost humorous when you read the gospel. It's like Jesus said, I'm waiting until the Sabbath and then I'm going to do this thing because I know it's going to tick them off. And here's what I want them to know. And that is by observing the Sabbath, you're not going to be justified in my sight. It's not going to work. So we know that whatever it speaks, it speaks to those that are under the law. So that, and so that is a good purpose clause. Here's the reason for the law. The law is good. It's that every mouth may be stopped. (laughs) Tell you what, when you come into church, here's what you ought to come in like. I mean, you ought to sing the praises. And then when the guy gets up to preach, it's the word of God. And every mouth, everybody, I, I, I won't do this, but I'm tempted to tell you to do that number, you know. Just do it in your heart. You shut your mouth and you listen to God. Every mouth will be shut. And here's what every mouth will be shut of. Because it's a tendency my kids had because that was a tendency I had. When somebody told me I did something wrong, I'm out to tell them why I didn't do it that wrong. You know? Yeah, all right, I did it, but let me just tell them. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it goes on and on and on. And we get frustrated with our kids and we do the exact same thing in the sight of God. And he says this. There's going to come a day when every mouth will be shut. There will be no justification of yourself through your verbiage or your language or your deeds or anything else. And just in case you think it doesn't include you, the whole world will be accountable, not to me, not to the church, not to the government, to God. (laughs) Merry Christmas. There's going to come a day you're going to be accountable to God. As a matter of fact, today you're accountable to God. And so am I. And here's how the prophet said it. And who can abide the day of his coming? Wow. (laughs) And then he goes on. It's like, okay, Paul, okay. Verse 20. For by the works of the law, by the, the law is good. And it demonstrates the glory and the holiness of God. And by that standard, no flesh is the literal translation or no human being will be justified in his sight none without exception will be justified and able to stand in the presence of a holy god because through the law comes the knowledge of sin which then leads actually to verse 23 which we're familiar with and it's in this context because in verse 23 it says though one more time paul wants to put it in there and he says what was probably the first verse i ever learned and it ought to be the first verse or one of the first verses every one of you kids learn, and that is this, that, that all have sinned, right? Even, I, I, I think I came to Christ, I think I was justified when I was five years old, and at times I've said, I wish, I, I wish it was a little later and I could have had more corruption so I could tell you all these gory stories of all the evil stuff I did. You know what, when I was five years old, I was a self-justifier. And five-year-olds can be, they're trying to defend themselves by who they are. That's what sin is. And they do it at five, and they do it at 55, and they do it at 85, and we continue to do it. And here's the fact, all have sinned, and sin is this. It's fallen short of the glory of God because we're looking for glory for ourselves. And five-year-olds can do that, and, and, and we all can do that. All have sinned, and here's the reality, that the day comes when our mouths are shut because we're all sinners and we all stand before God sinful, and none of us are justified. Now, the word justified is an interesting word, and it's the word that's been debated quite a bit. 
As I was listening to Tim Keller, he gave this definition that wasn't a theological definition. I'd never heard of it before. It stimulated my mind. I don't know that it's complete, but it was helpful. He called justification. No one is going to be justified. He said it's like this. It's a validating performance record that opens doors. And then I'm thinking, okay, so what does that mean? Well, here's kind of what it means. And here's an illustration he used. And I can relate to this because my son is there. I have a son in his mid-20s. And he's been at a job for a couple of years. And it's one of those dead-end type jobs, you know. And as a dad, you want to say, this kid ought to have the best job in the world so that he can support me someday or whatever. Uh, but anyway, because he's a good kid. And so he's written a resume. And in his resume, he's, he sent it to me to critique it, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And on his resume, he has his validating performance record. He went to college and he got a bachelor's degree. And he was wise. He left his GPA off the validating record. You know, it's like, hey, you know, you just, just tell the stuff that's going to help open the door, right? So, and he got his degree. He actually did okay in college. And, and then he's, got, he's had several jobs and they've been, he's actually moved in, in his jobs to more responsible jobs and he's in sales. And so he put down some of the validating record that, that he had a goal for X number of sales last year. He exceeded the goal. He was a salesman of the year in this one area and he sent me the plaque and it was a validating plaque. It was all that good kind of stuff. It's the validating record that then opens the door and the boss is going to say, hey, you know what? Looking at your record, I think you are, I, as a matter of fact, I'm going to justify you. I'm going to, I'm going to declare that the door's open. Come on in. I'll, I'll pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars that, by the way, sub point, give your dad some of it, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's that validating record whereby it opens doors. And here's what the text says. It's, it's what justification is not. It is not that we bring our record to the door of heaven and we say, God, you ought to declare us or you ought to justify us or you ought to open that door because of this stuff that I bring before you. Because here's reality. If you're living in a world where you're trying to justify yourself, you're living in a world that's contrary to the world that God is in the process of redeeming because you will never justify yourself. You're never going to do enough that will make it valid. That It doesn't matter how good you are. You're not good enough. You know, that's like bad news, but really good news, right? Because I think intuitively we know that the hardest we've worked and the best we've tried, it's not quite there. You know, the, the most effort we put into it, it's like, I know there's flaws because I know myself, no, well, I know what not to put on my resume. <laughs> now, I, I wanted to wrestle with this just a little bit, because no one's going to be justified. The attempts at self-justification, and I, I tell you what, as I've been thinking about justification, and I know the doctrine, and I've wrestled with it in the, the, in, through my whole life, but what really has impacted me recently is how even I, who call myself justified, try to justify myself. I mean, I spent a lot of my life doing that. The Jews had their Sabbaths. Most people think that the reason there's religion in the world is to make people better. As a matter of fact, even we evangelicals can tend to think that. We think that anything that has a steeple on it and you come in there, those people that are going in there are trying to figure out how to come out better than they were when they came in. Right? Never quite sure whether to say right or not. I mean, we do. We tend to think that. And so, so it's kind of like our goal. We have the Santa Claus mentality. Santa Claus theology is this. Just in case you don't know the Santa Claus theology. It's you better not shout... You better not cry. You better not pout. And let me tell you why. Because <laughs> that great judge Santa Claus is coming to town. And the implication is, if you're shouting, crying, or pouting, you get cold, right? Or something. Or, or he skips your house. And, and the thing that's ironic is that never happens, it seems like. It's always that false threat. But the nuance there is, he knows who's been, if you've been sleeping, he knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. I mean, why not for goodness sake be good? And you may say, well, that's just little kid stuff. You know, we don't think about that. And yet we do think about that. <laughs> We do, because we spend our lives trying to be more moral. And by the way, you ought to spend your life trying to be more moral. But your greater efforts at being moral and being good next year, which you ought to do all, you ought to make all your New Year's resolutions, none of those make any difference in the sight of God, at least in this sense. None of those will justify you. They won't. 
I mean, have your resolutions, but here ought to be your ultimate resolution. I need you, Jesus, more than I need my efforts to lose weight, my efforts to do this, my efforts to make more money, efforts to develop my career. I need Jesus to justify me because I can't justify myself. You know, as a matter of fact, here's the way we look at moral morality is, is we tend to look at it like I know people that are worse than me. I mean, you know the reason we like the 11 o'clock news, which maybe we really don't like it, but you want to know somebody worse than you watch the 11 o'clock news. I mean, they're worse than most of you. Or you know why Tiger Woods' story hit the press, and even if you'd never heard of Tiger Woods, you couldn't get through this week without, because Tiger Woods is one of those self-made men. I mean, almost felt messianic, you know, from early birth. This guy, and it's like he does, he almost does nothing wrong. It seems like he knows how to handle himself in front of the TV. He's a great golfer. I lust after his golf. And I, you know, and we, we all on some level have, and yet, here's what we found this week. And for some, it wasn't a surprise. For others, maybe it was. You know what? He's an immoral man. And yet, reality is this. We're all immoral people. And if you're going to wait until the day when you become moral to find your entrance into the kingdom of God, you're never going to find your entrance into the kingdom of God. Or, or we do our careers. You know, we have people at College Park Church who are justifying themselves by their career. Even people that say they're justified, they're putting in an inordinate number of hours. And they're prioritizing things in a way that they shouldn't prioritize because, educate, because their career has become what is going to justify them. And when they lose their jobs, that's what you can tell as to what is your self-justification. Is what is it that if you don't have it, you don't feel so good about yourself? Well, if you lose your job or if your bank account goes crunch and then you say, I don't know why I exist. I'm not sure what my purpose for being is. Or education, you know, if you're not that good in, your, in sports, then you, then you become smart, you know, or you try to. And, and we actually put out to our kids, you know, it's sort of that, again, a little bit of a Santa Claus mentality. It's like, hey, you've got to work really hard at school and I'll strangle you if you don't. And, and you've got to do that because that's how you're going to define yourself. Because someday you'll get out of school and you'll be really smart. And, and by the way, parents, strangle your kids to do well in school. That's all right. But don't make them think that that's going to justify them or validate their existence on planet Earth. Because it's not. Or their looks. And I tell you what, I struggle. I grieve in the world in which we live where we have an incredible amount of TV and magazines and Internet telling young women, here's how you validate yourself. You've got to be skinny. You've got to be... I don't know what kind of hair you got to have. You got to have all this stuff that's a whole world that I don't live in. But it's a world that's grabbed our girls to say, here's how you justify yourself so you can grow up and be a woman. And girls, can I tell you this? I'm standing up here at the pulpit and you say, you don't look very good. And you know what? You're right. But let me tell you this. You're not going to be justified by your looks. You're not. But go ahead and look good, but not to justify yourself. And then we got guys, you know, they're trying to do sports, the macho thing, whatever it is. That that's not going to judge our money, our marriages. There are some of you singles that think, I'll be validated when I get married. And then we get married and we find out that person is supposed to validate us. We're hoping that she's hoping that I'll validate her. And then we're like these two people who are trying to get the other person to justify us and to declare us okay. And that's, you know, that's, you know why we have marriage problems is because people don't realize that Christ is the only one that can justify us. We're trying to justify ourselves. And then we have kids. Man, kids are great. You know, it's like if you go through all that other stuff and say, ah, that's just all those other pagans, they have money. But I am validated in my existence because I have kids. That's what makes me wake up in the morning. Or, I'll tell you what, you can even ratchet it up from there, I have grandkids. It's like... And I was committed, if I ever get to preach again, this picture or something like it's getting in there. It was a couple weeks ago, this kid got born. And Joseph and... It wasn't Mary, but it was Kathy. They went and saw what had come to pass that the Lord had made known unto them. And they found a baby wrapped in whatever. And he was laying in a bassinet. And it's his one year to play Jesus in the Christmas thing at church. And I'm thinking, I don't know if he's going to get the role or not. I don't know if he'll justify himself. And, you know, we're, I mean, even the looks, it's like, so this is how I get justified. I at least have some reason for existence because, look, there's a baby there. And you know what? We go on and on and on and on and on. And even those of us that say we're justified by grace, we live our lives as if we're trying to justify ourselves 
And I tell you what, one of the great freedoms of this service, I hope, and of this text is that you can't justify yourself. Now, does that mean you shouldn't work hard to live morally? You absolutely should because a justified person lives like God wants a justified person to live because faith without works is dead. But don't ever get the idea that works is what justifies you. It does not, and that's incredibly freeing. It's incredibly glorious. So if it's not all that, the question is, what is it? If the Bible ended, or Romans ended in Romans 3.20, I would say burn the Christmas trees. Let's burn the church down. Let's hang it up because we can't justify ourselves. The best you do, you can give all the gifts you want to your kids and feel really smug like, I just really did it this year. And it ain't good enough. And then you come to verse 21. And I love verse 21 because it begins with a but. And if if you've never heard me preach, that may not mean all that much. And I think, should I embellish that? And on some level, I should embellish that because the glory of the gospel is this. The glory of the gospel is we are desperate and hopeless, but... (laughs) And the word but... And by the way, there are some of you that I think have kind of caught on. I get an email every now and then. I just got one. It was either this week or last week of someone that had been reading the scriptures. And they found this glorious, phenomenal, unbelievable but. Where it was talking about the wickedness and the evil of the world. And then it stands in radical contrast to the glory of Jesus Christ. It's a contrastive word. And by the way, the updated version of but is but now. I mean, it's like that's the new version. It's the version where I used to say, and we've got about five butt ornaments on our tree that we put on there every year, and it just says but, and it's, it, it comes from where it says that God came into his own, or Christ came into his own, his own received and not, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power. Well, now it's a but now bulb. I was almost going to bring one this morning. The world can't justify itself, but now, and look at the next four words. There is, is not there, but it could be. A righteousness of God. You can't justify yourself, but there is a righteousness and it's not your own. Some theologians have called it an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness outside of yourself. It's a righteousness you can't reach for and grasp. It's a righteousness that must be given to you. There's a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So if you've got that notion that somehow I'm going to merit my, the grace of God and I'm going, to, I'm going to do something that will allow me into his kingdom, the fact is, no, 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 no. Here's good news. There's a righteousness and it's a righteousness of God and it's apart from the law. And it's a righteousness that was the prophets, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We read a little bit about that this morning. They bore witness to Jesus Christ, this righteousness that would come someday that we celebrate at Christmas. One of the things I really love about even the Advent readings that Eric has us doing is the Advent readings are traditional in, in more traditional type churches. And traditionally, we don't traditionally do traditional stuff, but I'm glad we're doing a little bit of it now. Because this traditional thing is, is the church for four weeks before we celebrate Christ's birth. We anticipate his coming, but we do it like a 21st century person should. We're anticipating his second coming. Come thou long expected Jesus. And that's not a history one. That's like, come thou long expected Jesus. I can't wait for Christmas too. Bring the sequel out. And, and even those, those, the, the, the verse that we were reading out of Isaiah 40, unbelievably good, challenging verses. The prophets talked about the Messiah that was going to come, and that was going to be the righteousness of God that would come to us. We celebrate it at Christmas, but we anticipate the glory of it that's yet to come. That's Advent stuff. That's good stuff. So they, the prophets and the law, they bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ... Here's how you can come into contact with that righteousness that's not your own. And it's not by works. It's not by self-righteousness. It's through faith. And here's what faith is. Faith is the opposite of self-justification. Faith is what a five-year-old needs to do when a five-year-old bows his head and doesn't understand it all. I didn't understand even very much of it. But I understood enough to know that something was deficient in me and I needed something other than me. And what I needed other than me, and I didn't understand all the nuancing of it, but it was, I need a righteousness. I need, I need something that's going to declare me righteous, that's going to put me in a right stead before God, and that's Jesus Christ. 
And therefore, he takes my sin and he gives me or imputes to me his righteousness. That's what the world needs. That's what this is. And it comes through faith and trust. And I'm going to stop trusting in my righteousness. And I'm going to start trusting in his because my righteousness failed a long, long, long time ago. (laughs) The righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what this justification stuff is. And, you know, it's a righteousness of God. And, and the term justification is an interesting word. And I want to give you a little more theological definition of it when we talk about what justification is. <clears throat> and it is this. It means, and actually it means two things, but let me go at the word a little bit. In verse 20, you see the word justified. No human being will be justified in his sight. And I gave you a Keller definition, that validating performance record that opens doors. And then you come to verse 21. Now there is a righteousness. And if you're into marketing in your Bible, you could circle justify and circle righteous and connect the two. Because if you're reading in Greek, which ought to be your New Year's resolution, that next year you read Romans 3 in Greek. Just a thought. If, if all of you would like to do that, we'll have a class and help you to read Romans 3 in Greek. The word for justify and the word for righteous are the same word. It doesn't come out that way in English. But it has a real impact if you think of it in those terms. Here's the word I wish existed in English, but it doesn't. The word righteousize. Because that's what justify is. Justify is to declare one righteous. It's to do what one can't do for himself, and that is to make him or her righteous. So when it says in verse 20, no human being will be justified, you could translate that, except it's not good English. No human being will be righteousized. No human being will be able to stand before God and say, I'm righteous. That my performance has made me righteous. I can't stand before you. But there is a righteousness, and it's the righteousness of Christ, where he perfectly obeyed the law. He did all that was necessary to fulfill all the terms of the law. And that righteous one, the righteousness of God, comes on our behalf. And as a matter of fact, here's what that justification has two nuances to it, at least. First of all, it's the discharging of the debt of sin. In other words, it takes your sins away when Christ justifies you. And here's the picture, and this fits the Greek and the Hebrew nuance of justification. It's as though you're in a courtroom. And when you're in a courtroom, it never is very comfortable, especially if you're the one being accused. You're in a courtroom, there's a judge, and you happen to be the accused. And and so are all the rest of us. So we all stand together or sit together in that courtroom. And, And here's the reality of that courtroom, that you have done more than sufficient crimes to warrant and merit a judgment on you that would say you are absolutely guilty. There's no doubt about it. There's no, well, maybe you don't understand. Mouths are all shut in that courtroom because we all stand guilty or we sit guilty before the presence of that holy God. And then one comes in and one comes in and says, I'm going to righteousize this person or justify. And I'm going to do it by, here's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to take away or discharge the debt of sin. I'm going to take the sins away from that person. So the person's got this whole litany of things that they've done wrong. I'm going to take those sins away, which is forgiveness. Which another way of saying that is I'm going to let them go free. Your sins are gone. You can go free. You're free to go. And and, and a lot of us, that's what we think of salvation. And I like that, don't you? I mean, that's pretty good. But that's not justification. It's part of it. It's not the glory. Here's the glory of justification. It's in the second point. And, and try to grab this. It's, it's this one that comes in and says, I'm going to take care of all their sins, also says this, I'm going to credit my righteousness to their account. So not only are they like neutral and sinless, but they are now imputed with and declared righteous. So when they wake up in the morning, they're going to be able to say, it isn't just I woke up this morning and I'm not sinful, so hopefully I don't sin today because then, you know, I had this clean slate and doggone it, now I've lost it. It's they wake up today and they find the reality that God has declared them righteous and it's because he's imputed to them and declared them righteous. So we stand before God, not just we're free to go, but God says, you're free to come. That's a little different nuance, isn't it? It's not you're free to go, go wherever you want, but you're free to come to me. You're free to be my son, to be adopted, son and daughter. You're free to experience the glory of the Holy Spirit within you that can help you to overcome sin. That I've imputed my righteousness to you. And you wake up this morning and you say, you know what? This is really hard for me to believe, but I believe in Jesus Christ 
who has imputed his righteousness. He's credited his righteousness to my account. So I stand before God, before whom I'm accountable, and I say nothing, and Jesus says it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him, I owe. Wow, that's kind of my... Let me, let me show you two other real quick verses. These aren't real quick verses. I'm just going to do them real quick. As Paul says this, For our sake, put your name in there, for Joe's sake, he made him to be sin. Well, that's a mouthful. It doesn't mean Christ became a sinner. It means he became the sin bearer. He made him to be the object of God's wrath. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. You know why? That's, there's another so that. Here's the purpose. So that in him, not in me, I don't stand up and say in me, I say in him, we might become sinless. Obviously it doesn't say that, does it? We do become, at least our sins are covered, we become the righteousness of God. That's how you define yourself. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm not about to define myself tomorrow as a sinless person, but I am willing to define myself as one declared righteous by a holy God because Christ has imputed his righteousness to my account. Yeah. Well, then look at this verse. Here's Paul talking again. Paul, who was probably the consummate self-righteous person, the Pharisee of Pharisee, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, he says, For this sake I suffer the loss of all things, all of my self-righteous, and count them as rubbish, or some of the old translations said, My self-righteousness I count as dung. That's almost as good as but. It really is just like, that's what my self-righteousness is. And, and you know, that, that kind of is graphic. In order that I may find Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The just shall live by faith. And by faith, here's what you get. That's why it's a phenomenal gift. It isn't just, I get my sins forgiven. It is that, and that's great. But then you also get identified as, and you get given the full rights of one who has to be, been declared righteous because Christ's righteousness is yours. Now, that beats a 10-speed. And it even beats a number 19 uniform. And it beats all your money. And it beats all your... You can take everything else you want that you've tried to justify yourself with, and it beats it all. So the question becomes this. That's what it's not. It's not self-righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And how in the world is that possible? And and here's what some would argue to us who like to argue for justification. They'll, They'll even use the term legal fiction. It's like, that's Christianity. And if you just do that so you feel better about yourself... That it's just, it's just like what I would do with my kids sometimes when I got tired of disciplining them and they did something wrong. And in, I never told them that, but in my mind, it's like, I'm going to pretend like you didn't do that because I'm tired of dealing with it. So we'll just pretend like you never did it and move on. Here's the way we've defined justification. We've said justification is just as if you never sinned, which is what I used to do with my kids on occasion just because I was tired. God can't do that. You're not identified by God as, we'll just pretend like you never sinned. He had, and it says it, and we're not going to get through every verse here or every part, but if you look at the end of verse 26, he is just in being the justifier. He doesn't just do it capriciously or just on a whim. He has the right to justify. And you know why? Well, let me tell you why. Because I love telling you why. (laughs) Because it's by his grace. You don't stand before him and say, God... You really have, as a matter of fact, you must declare me righteous because of who I am. You would say this, and we bow our knee, and it's one of the great realities of amazing grace that we don't deserve it. We're sinners, and we can't justify ourselves, and we need his grace. And then there's two other things that are mentioned in verse 24. We're justified by his grace as a gift. And it's through this, it's through redemption, which is another one of those theological words. But man, is it a cool word. It's a word that has in its original nuance, and actually it still has it even now. It has the idea of you go into the marketplace. I mean, it's a good Christmas thing, right? You go in the marketplace, there's something there, you buy it, you redeem it, you take it to yourself and you give it to somebody or whatever you do with that stuff. And, and in the ancient Near East, they would have marketplaces, and in the marketplace would be the slave market. And, and there they would sell slaves, that were, were commodities, and typically the slave would be there naked, because if you're going to buy a commodity, you want to know what you're buying. And you can imagine, for some, they had pretty corrupt intent. For others, it was probably to do work or whatever. 
And so they stood there, and then the person would look and say, does that slave merit my the, the cost, whatever it is, that I'm going to pay for that slave so that I get my money's worth when I purchase that slave? Now think about that in terms of Jesus. And I tell you, you talk about an incredible gift where God comes to the slave market of sin and he sees you there. And he sees you in all the glory of your nakedness and you stand before him and you can't pretend like your GPA is really higher than it is. It really is what it is. And you are what you are and you're a sinner and a sinner is a rebel against the glory of God. And he sees that and he knows it all and he says this, I want to buy you. (laughs) I'm going to pay the price for your sin. And you know what the price was? In case you think that justification doesn't take sin seriously, the price for sin was the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't care how big your MasterCard is, and I don't care how much other stuff you have, it all pales compared to the life, the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the cost for sin. And you know what? The, thing, the cool thing about redemption is, he didn't just say, okay, I'm coming in, I got, I'm, I'm going to take care of your sin. He also said this, didn't he? That in redemption, I'm buying you to myself. I'm not just setting you free. I'm setting you to me. And I say, you know why he has the right to declare you righteous? Because Jesus Christ died for your sins and he died to purchase you for himself. And he has every right to declare you righteous. (laughs) And then look at the next word that I think is really cool. It's another like a big word. It's a five syllable word. And I think many in our culture are committed. Any, syllable, any word with more than three syllables, we're not going to say. It's not a part of our culture. But make this a part of your culture, the word propitiation, which is an English word. It translates a Greek word that translates a Hebrew word, you know, on and on. And in the Old Testament, the nuance is the mercy seat. And, and if you remember the mercy seat on, on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, and once a year, the priest would come in and put blood on that mercy seat or that propitiation place. And the reason for putting blood on there, as a matter of fact, it was a scary time for a priest. Because if the blood wasn't counted worthy, that priest was dead. That's what holiness is all about. That's why it was called the Holy of Holies. And that blood was placed there. And the blood was placed there once a year. And the nuance of mercy seat was that God is holy. And a holy God looks at sin. And a holy God judges sin. And the mercy seat was the place where the wrath of God was placated or was satisfied. Where God said, I'm satisfied. And he was satisfied because of blood. And the ultimate statement of satisfying a God whose right it is to be wrathful against sin is the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ goes before the Father. And the Father then says, I'm satisfied with that. That's the blood of my Son. And that propitiation is what he is for you. Which makes me think, and I know there's a lot of people in our church, and I'm one of them. There are days when we wonder if we're really justified or you're really saved. You ever had those days when you think, I'm just not, I'm not so sure about salvation. And for some of you, you should not be sure of your salvation because your life would indicate that you're not really a believer. I mean, that's true. All right. So accept that. And then what you ought to do is bow your knee and you ought to say, I'm tired of my self-righteousness and I want Christ's righteousness. And a lot of you ought to do that. You ought to do it this morning. You shouldn't wait. But there's many of you that have truly put your faith and trust in Christ. And then you're saying, and I still struggle because every now and then when I'm found in sin, I think God may turn his back on me. And here's what you ought to do. You know what? One of the greatest antidotes for a non-secure reality is that you haven't come to grips with justification and you ought to repent. This doesn't sound very kind, does it? Because I know how hard it is to struggle with assurance of salvation. You ought to repent of trying to justify yourself. Man. And you ought to say, God, I'm going to today live by faith. Because my faith is that when Jesus died on the cross, he really did take care of God's wrath. And where I think maybe there's a little bit of God's wrath that he's still going to pour out on me. God, you know what? Jesus Christ took care of all of the wrath. So does he have the right to justify you? I'm here to tell you this. That the God who paid for your sins and the God who bore God's wrath and the God who then, if you in faith trust him, says, I'm going to declare you righteous. I'm going to impute my righteousness to your account. He has every right to define you as one of his righteous people. Now there's four takeaways and I've got five minutes, which is more than I had in the first service. <laughs> the just shall live by faith. Can I tell you this, that this concept of justification, where you bring nothing to the table, Jesus brings everything, where it's more blessed to receive than to give, it is incredibly God-honoring. It glorifies Jesus Christ. It puts him where he ought to be. It isn't that we're saved and it's kind of this joint venture, give me a little glory, give him a little more. It's like, give me no glory, give him all. 
It's like we stand righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Christ and He's the one to be worshipped and it leads to this idea of we're one with Christ, we're, we're adopted into His family, His Holy Spirit indwells us and all of that is possible because Jesus has identified us as those He's declared righteous. And so you walk out of here and you say, I mean, do you walk out and say, man, I feel really good about myself because Christ has justified me. You say, I would feel really good about Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I'm glad for what he's done about me, so I feel good about that too. And it doesn't matter what happens to me in life because in the end of the day, I'm justified. Which then leads me kind of to the second point. And this is the one I wish I had another 45 minutes to talk about, and that is you need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's the part that probably has impacted me more than anything. Because here's the way I look at justification. Got to do my visual aid, you know. Justification, this great gift. You know how you do that? I wonder if it's... You know, it's this great gift, and here's the way we look at it. There comes a time in our lives when we open it up and we say, Ah, just what I needed. And in faith we trust in Jesus. And then we do this. That's really good. And we say, now someday when I go to heaven, I'm opening the box again and I'm going to say, Jesus, you know why you have the right to let me into your kingdom? It's because of your work. Remember? Remember? And, and then it's going to be, yeah, you can come into heaven. And can I tell you this? That's a really glorious thing, but it misses the beauty of the cross. And if you read Paul in Romans, you're going to find that the just shall live not just on that day, but on this day by faith. So that when you wake up tomorrow morning... Monday morning, you wake up, your identifying reality had better be, I am justified. I'm declared righteous. So when I go to work, when I talk to my wife, when I'm tempted to sin, when I look in the face of my kids, I am justified. And that makes all the difference in the world. I don't go to work to justify myself. I don't treat my wife in a certain way to justify myself. I'm already justified. And the just shall live by faith. And then we live out the reality of that justification because faith, faith without works is dead. Wow, I love that. As a matter of fact, I, I should have marketed these and I could have sold these to you. <laughs> said, wake up tomorrow morning, open the gift, do it every hour. This is the reality of what Christ is all about. Which then even brings me to this point. And I love this point, except I'm not the best at it. So if I'm justified, I'm free to take risks. We have two interns in our church, Jeff Henney, Jason Dotteridge. I think Jason's here anyway. I I don't know if Jeff is or not. And I've gotten to know those guys. They're really cool guys. If they were ever self-justifiable people, those guys are it because they're pretty good golfers. I golfed with them a while ago. And in my mind, if you want to justify yourself, be a pretty good golfer. Not as good as me because it's easier for me to justify if you're not as good as me, but it doesn't take much to be better than me. They're, They're pretty good golfers. One of them was a teacher. One of them was a doctor. I mean, teacher, doctor, that sounds pretty good, right? They both have nice wives. They, one of them has four kids, I think. They have all that stuff, and they're pretty good people. I've never seen them cuss. <laughs> then I play golf with them, so that's pretty good. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty good people, and they're pretty good people who have said, Christ has declared me righteous, therefore I can go to Japan. Well, how's that going to fit on your resume? <laughs> I can go to, to Laos. And we have two other families in our church that are leaving this year. They're willing to take risks. Because Christ has already identified ourselves. So your job isn't going to identify you. Your bank account's not going to identify you. So you know what? Hey, good news. You're free when the Togo offering comes up in two weeks to give incredibly, hilariously, because Christ has justified you. That, that's why we ought to have a good offering. If, if, you're, if you're giving in two weeks in order to justify yourself... Go ahead and give anyway. Because <laughs> we can use the money. <laughs> but don't look at it like a self-justifying thing. Look at it like this. God has justified me, so I'm free to give. I'm free to give more than I thought I could give. Man, I am just, just this is, I'm, I'm free to go to Brookside. I, I'm free to do those things that I wouldn't think I could do because God's declared me righteous. Wow. Live in the glory of that. Then let me give you the last point. Here's the heart of the gospel. And there's a song that I love, and it's the song that says, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and ruined by the fall. And then I love this verse. It says, If you tarry till you're better, 
You're never going to come at all. And I don't know everyone in here, but I've got to believe this. There's some that have listened to this sermon. And you're trying to justify yourself and you're working hard at it. And hopefully you come to a point in time where the Spirit of God reveals to yourself you can't justify yourself. You can't do enough to be good enough. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you're tarried till you're better, if you wait till things are better, if you wait till the economy's better and you think, man, I just haven't done all, you're never going to come at all because you're never going to be good enough. So you can't wait long enough. So here's the invitation. So come today. Right? Isn't that the invitation? The invitation is this. Jesus is saying, I have... Here's what but now Christianity is. It's like you couldn't do it yourself, but now today is the day of salvation. Today's the day of justification. We're going to have some people up here afterward. And I, 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 I compel you to really reflect on your own life. And if you're not one who has given up your own self-justification and have said, I need you, Jesus Christ, and in faith you come to Him and accept the free gift, the beautiful gift that he offers to you of justification. Today is the day of salvation. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are a holy God. Thank you that sin is not a small issue. Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, was the only solution to sin, and it took his death. And I thank you that you are in the business of justifying, of declaring righteous people who need your justification because we can't do it for ourselves. That you are our validating performance record. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there are some that don't know you, draw them to yourself this Christmas season. Because Lord, the greatest gift ever offered to planet Earth and to sinful humanity is a Savior who will impute His righteousness to our account. And Lord, for those of us that know You, may we daily be the just who live by faith. And I pray that in the unbelievably glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.